Well, it's a joy this morning to open up with you one of my favorite passages of the Bible, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. If you would, open your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We've been spending the last few weeks in this wonderful book, and I hope it's impacted you. It's certainly impacted me. I think it's, it's impacted our church. What a wonderful letter that Paul wrote here to the Ephesians, and it teaches us so much about who we are in Christ. It teaches us so much about what God has done for us. And then later we'll see that he teaches us about the church and how we should live out these truths, these doctrines that we're learning in the first few chapters. We're going to be looking today at a message entitled, Saved by Grace Through Faith. And I think this definitely is, it's probably number one or number two for me because 2 Corinthians 5.21 is one of my favorites as well. And many of you might have grew up learning this verse, memorizing this verse. It's like John 3.16. It's just one of those classic passages in Scripture. I want to read it to you. I want to start, though, in verse 1, because this is in context with what Paul's already said in chapter 2 previously. And we want to get the context. We want to get the sense of why Paul is even bringing this up. So Ephesians 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead... In your trespasses and sins, and which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come He might show the surpassing riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Here Paul is teaching how salvation happens. He's looking back and he's talking to believers and he's saying, if you look back, this is what actually happened. You may not have known this, but here's what God did for you. Here's what God has done for you. And it's by His grace. Yes, it's through faith. But it's ultimately by His grace that you are saved. If you were to take sort of a poll of maybe your friends and family and and fellow Christians, and you were to ask them about grace, and ask them about faith, and ask them about works, and how those all interact in Scripture, I think you would hear a lot of confusion. In 2016, Ligonier, R.C. Sproul's ministry, did a study. And they wanted to ask Americans, they would call them, and they would ask them certain questions. And they would just say, do you agree or do you disagree? And two that really stood out to me on this topic, this was the quote you had to agree or disagree with. By the good deeds that I do, I partly contribute to earning my place in heaven. Half, 52% agreed or somewhat agreed. And these were evangelical Christians they were asking. These are evangelical Christian as a gospel-believing, Bible-believing Christian. Or at least they say that they are. And, and they asked them this question and over half said that their good deeds contribute to earning my place in heaven. They ask another question, or made a statement. A person obtains peace with God 
by first taking the initiative to seek God, and then God responds with grace. 83% of American evangelicals agreed or somewhat agreed with that. Now, we can hope they didn't understand the question. They didn't understand the statement. Maybe they hadn't been taught in certain churches. But either way, this is a concerning poll, a concerning statement that people that identify as Bible-believing Christians would be so confused on God's grace, so confused on works, and thinking that they play a part in salvation. It just seems that many Americans believe in a works-based salvation. And if you talk to friends, family members, you often discover this. Many people in the world think that works contribute to salvation. Some even believe that works do all the work, that God has nothing to do with it. Others would say our works plus faith get us into heaven. This is the opposite of the gospel of grace. Works-based salvation is centered upon a man's outward activities to please God, but the gospel of grace is centered on one person and work of Jesus Christ. Works-based salvation is about working to meet a standard with God in order to earn salvation. But the gospel of grace, on the other hand, is an inward conversion. It's not outward working, but it's an inward conversion that God does in the heart, first of all, and then we see it by fruit being worked out. Works-based salvation says the biggest problem is outside of us. We have to do something outside of us. But the gospel of grace says the biggest problem is inside of us. Our heart, our nature, our sin. Works-based salvation is trying to merit righteousness, while the gospel of grace is God transferring upon men and women the merits of Christ and what he's done for us, the price he paid on the cross. Works-based salvation is about swearing off the old self, but a gospel of grace, on the other hand, is about being made into a new self by God. And works-based salvation is about a man-made self-reformation. If I could just reform myself enough, that's works-based. But the gospel of grace is about God reforming sinful man into the likeness of Christ. These contrasts are going to be seen here in this text. Paul is trying to show us how salvation has really happened with us, with all people who come to believe. In the letter so far, he's been teaching Christians about God, the God who saved them. In chapter 1, we saw that he told us he chose him. God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Then he went on to say that God predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself. And in Christ, we have the redemption through his blood, which is the forgiveness of our sins, the forgiveness of trespasses. And we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've been sealed. We can't, we can't lose our salvation. We can't have somebody take it from us. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. So he's taught us about what God has done for us. In general, he's taught us about how those things work. Then he began to pray and say that God is all-powerful by the end of chapter 1. And then in in chapter 2, he starts out, and. And here's another way God's power has been displayed through converting dead sinners, making them alive in Christ. I I showed you in 2, 1 through 3, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, how dead we really are. How our our state, our nature is one of a dead man. One of a dead man. Not, Not just sort of having some trouble in the water and we need some help, but actually dead, lying at the bottom of the ocean with all the rotting filth. That's how Paul describes it there. See, the bad news is we're we're born in sin, 
We continue to sin. We do the works of Satan, the works of the world, the works of the flesh. But the good news starts in verse 4, but God. And then he gets to verse 5. God made us alive. We were dead, but God's made us alive. And then he puts this little parenthetical statement. Did you see it when I read? By grace you have been saved. He just wants to remind them at that point that it's by God's grace they're even made alive. It's not something they did. It's God's grace. But now in verse 8 and 9, he comes back to that topic. He wants to explain it some more. He wants to open it up a bit for us so we can understand it better, so we can praise God better, so we can worship Him better. So I think what we'll see in this passage is four truths, four truths in God's salvation of sinners. And then next week, Lord willing, we'll come back and just look at verse 10 by itself. So four truths in God's salvation of sinners. First of all, we see here the truth that God is the cause of salvation. We see the cause of our salvation. That's the very first thing Paul wants us to see here. He puts it right up front. By grace, you have been saved. Now, when we talk about cause, we're looking at the basis of salvation. There are a lot of different aspects of salvation that the Bible talks about. Whenever we're talking about cause, what is the ultimate cause? What's the ultimate grounds upon which we're saved? On what basis are we saved? Is the cause found in us, ultimately? Is the cause found in someone else that brought the gospel to us? Is the cause found in a spiritual leader somewhere in the world? Or is it found in God? And that's what Paul says, that it's found in God. It's by His grace that you've been saved. God was under no obligation to save us. You didn't sign an agreement with God that He would save you. Adam was supposed to obey, and Adam fell. And Eve fell. And we would have done the same thing. And we've continued to fall in sin ever since then. We're born with that nature. And we sin as soon as we get the chance. God was under no obligation to save men and women. Verse 3. Again, we were by nature children of wrath. This is the bad news. This ought to put the fear into an unbeliever. We were by nature. We were born that way. And, And how were we born? Children of wrath. Under God's wrath. Jesus said that people that don't believe in him as their savior have the wrath of God abiding upon them. Even Christians today, we look back before we came to Christ, we had the wrath of God on us until the moment we were saved. The wrath of God. Romans 2, 5 says, but because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath, Paul says, to the unbelieving Jews. They're storing up wrath for themselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment. Unbelievers have God's wrath upon them already. And then it will ultimately be seen in the lake of fire where they suffer forever and ever. But by his grace, those who are in Christ, by his grace, you have been saved, Paul says. You've been saved from that. Love what R.C. Sproul used to say when he was younger on college campuses. Good-hearted evangelists would come up and say, you've got to be saved, you've got to be saved. And he would say, saved from what? And it would sort of just throw them off because they weren't used to that kind of question. They'd have to go back and think about it. But what he was getting at is, we talk a lot about being saved, but what are we saved from? We're saved from God's wrath. And Paul's already told us, we're children of wrath. We follow the devil. We follow the world. We follow our flesh. But if you've been saved, that was by God's grace. That was by God's grace. Now, God's grace isn't just his mercy. I'm thankful for God's mercy. You should love God's mercy. It comes up a lot in Scripture. Mercy is 
someone who's able to help the weaker, someone who's able to have pity on another person that is in an awful state. God does that often. But grace is a bit different. Grace is, is undeserved favor. You may have heard that. It's undeserved favor, which means we didn't deserve it. But it's not just undeserved favor. It's undeserved favor for someone who deserved punishment. It's not just letting a person off the hook in the courtroom. But it's the judge coming down and taking the place for your sentence, which was a life sentence, and letting you go free. And you get to go home and eat all the judge's food and live in his house and get all of his inheritance. That's what grace is. It's God's love being poured out and saving us from the wrath to come. Have you ever stopped to really think about God's grace, God's compassion for sinners? Have you ever thought, as a Christian, have you ever thought, what would have happened if you weren't saved? You would have lived a whole life of sin, building up more and more of God's wrath until the day of judgment. But God, in His grace, He, he saved you. If you're a Christian today, he's, He saved you. And Paul says, it's by grace that that's happened. Have you ever just stopped and thought about that, though? How he, how he snatched you back. He snatched you back from your path, which was going to hell. That song we just sang, Amazing Grace. That was the writer, John Newton, he knew that he'd been saved. He was a slave trader in the 1700s. And when he got saved, he radically followed the Lord. And he wanted to write hymns, not only be a pastor, but write hymns that honored God. And he wrote this song called Amazing Grace, probably one of the most popular Christian hymns. It goes, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We were a wretch. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. God shows grace to some. He grants them his, his undeserved favor, even though they were rightly deserving of punishment. This originally in Latin was called sola gratia during the Reformation, because everybody wrote in Latin back then. Sola gratia, by grace alone you are saved. They had five solas. This is one of them, sola gratia. And the name Protestant comes from the fact that we protested, we as non-Catholics, those who believe in faith alone, grace alone, through Christ alone we're saved. We protest even today, but back then they protested that their own good works are the meritorious basis for bestowing God's grace upon us. Let me break that down. What that means is it's not by your works that God has to give you his grace, but he gives it freely. He gives of his own sovereign will. It's, it's not by our own good works. We don't merit the basis of our salvation. God is the basis of our salvation. It's his grace. It's his love for us. All other religions in the world, including Roman Catholics, hold a view of salvation called synergism. Synergism. You work and God adds to it. And then you can get saved. We, we cooperate with God's grace. They would not say by grace alone. They would say we, we cooperate. It's a teamwork. It's a partnership. Even false religions. They might not have the concept of the true God that we have, but they believe there's something out there. And if they just work and do the right things and earn enough, then somehow that mysterious universal grace will find them and save them and maybe give them another chance at it. You know, we believe it's by grace alone because that's what Scripture says. We're not, we're not justified. We're not made righteous before God by anything we do. The cause, the ultimate cause, is God's grace. 
throughout your life. You get more and more knowledge of Scripture, and you ought to thank Him for it. God's grace alone is the cause of our salvation. Think about that. You, you cannot pat yourself on the back. Now, now, you have a part in it, but it's not contributing to salvation for the basis, for the grounds, for the ultimate cause. We'll get to faith. That's coming up next. But the cause is God. Romans 3.24, being justified as a gift by His grace. Being justified as a gift by His grace, Paul says in Romans 3.24, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Romans 11.6, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. The minute you say, I've done something and I've worked for it and I deserve it, or I've contributed, Paul says, that's not, that's not grace any longer. How can it be God's grace? It's got to all be of God to be God's grace. 2 Timothy 1.9 talks about God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. So what's the ultimate cause? It's God's grace. He put it at the front of the sentence. He, he wrote it grammatically in such a way that we would see that's the cause. We ought to praise God for that. We ought to thank God for that. We ought to tell other people about God's grace. It's called the gospel of grace for a reason. The doctrines of grace, those names come from the truths in Scripture. Don't ever tell somebody they just got to try and obey God better as an unbeliever. Don't tell them that they've got to work harder, go to church more as an unbeliever. Yeah, they should go to church to hear the gospel preached, but they ought not to think they're earning something with God. So that's the cause of salvation. Secondly, though, we're going to talk about the means of salvation. The second truth that he reveals is the means of salvation. The means. So a cause is the power behind something, the thing that makes it happen. A cause, the first one we talked about, is, is the ultimate grounds. But the means is the process by which something happens. So you get in your car and you start driving. The cause of the car moving is the motor. But the seat you're setting in is the means by which you're getting from one place to the next. You go to the store and you, you buy a soft drink with a straw. The straw is the means by which you drink. The power, though, is coming from your own mouth. So now he tells us the means of salvation. He says, by grace you have been saved through faith. You notice those prepositions there? By grace, through faith. Prepositions are very important in theology. They're very important. You need to study the word in such a way that you're noticing things like that. I recommend that, that you slow down when you read the Bible and really study it. Now, if you're just reading chapters a day to get through the Bible in a year, that's good. But maybe you ought to slow down sometimes and just look at, what, why did he choose that preposition? Why did Paul use by in front of grace and through in front of faith? Well, he's indicating to us that, that faith isn't the ultimate cause. It's not the ultimate cause. It's the instrument. It's the means through which God saves a person. But it is not on the basis of faith that we're saved. Ultimately, when you go back down and get to the ground level of your salvation, that's God. But the means he uses is faith. The, the means that we're a part of is faith. But we can't claim that we have done it, that we've even given ourselves faith. Faith is the means by which God saves us. It's not the ultimate cause. It's just the means. God doesn't want 
us to pat ourselves on the back. And Paul here doesn't want us to misunderstand. He's put grace first, and then he's talked about salvation, and then he's put faith after it. We have to have personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's essential for salvation. It's that two truths that we often see in the Bible. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. How do they perfectly work out? I can only tell you what the Bible says. Spurgeon used to say, they're just parallel. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. God says it's by his grace, and he says it's through faith. God says he has an elect. Jesus calls us to come to him if we hear the gospel. Spurgeon said those railroad tracks, they never cross. They just run parallel. God knows. God has it all figured out. But we can't get in the mind of God. We only know what Scripture says. So in Scripture, this is how God has done it. This is how God has set it up in reality. Let's look at this faith, though. What what does it mean that it's through faith? What does the word faith mean? Is it just a a kind of a Christianese, a word that we want to put on our coffee mugs and shower curtains and towels? Is it faith that our car will start in the morning? Is that that kind of faith? Is it faith in a person? What is it? Well, faith is best understood in three different components. We have to have knowledge. We have to have an assent. We have to have trust. We're just breaking down what does it mean in the Bible to talk about personal faith. First, you've got to have knowledge. You've got to have knowledge to have faith in something. You have to know something about God and about His Son. You have to know the name Jesus Christ. You have to know that He's the Son of God. You've got to know that He died on the cross for sinners, that He was raised again on the third day. Out of all this book, there's a lot to know. You don't have to know it all to be saved, but you've got to know the essentials. Otherwise, what what are you even believing in? What are you even trusting in? America's general idea of God? The world's general idea of, of a Savior? Or the Savior mentioned in Scripture? So you have to have that knowledge. And usually that comes through somebody telling it to you. You might hear it preached. Paul says, how will they hear without a preacher? You might just open the Bible and read it yourself. You might get online and listen to a preacher. But it, it's got to come, usually it'll come through the, a person teaching or preaching. So you've got to have that knowledge, first of all. And then faith is also seen in an assent to those facts. You can't just know the facts and be done. Every kid growing up in a Christian home or in the church learns the facts in Sunday school. Just knowing that something happened is, is not enough. That's not what Paul is talking about when he says faith. You've got to assent to it, which means you've got to accept it as true. Assent means I agree with that and it's true. It, it really happened. It really happened that Jesus died on the cross for sinners. It really happened that he was raised again on the third day. It really happened that he came to save sinners. You know, many people know the facts of the Bible, but they don't believe that it's true. They don't believe that it's true. They, they can open it and read the words, but they don't believe them to be true. But even those two, knowledge and assent, that, that's not enough. Because James says even the demons believe that way. The demons know Scripture. Satan knows Scripture. And they agree that it's true. That it will actually come to pass just as God has said. It's all true. The third part of faith, the third component is trust. Trust. You've actually got to put your trust in the person, Jesus Christ, that you know the facts about and that you've agreed is a real person, the God-man, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for sinners. Again, when, when you look at a car, you might know how the car is put together. You might know how it works. You might even agree that that car will take one person from point A to point B. 
But it's not until you get in the car that you put your trust in the fact that it will carry you there. Well, it's the same with faith. You can know all about Jesus. You can have a PhD in theology and still be an unbeliever. You can know all about Jesus and agree that it really happened, but if you don't have personal faith in him, if you haven't trusted in him as your savior, then you don't have saving faith. That's a superficial faith. That's the faith we just read about in John 6. You remember when he said all those disciples turned away from him? Why did those disciples turn away from him? Hundreds of disciples just walked away because they were not hearing what they wanted. They wanted free food, free drink for the rest of their lives. And he's talking about eating his flesh. And that's just hard for them. They don't want to hang around to listen to that. They just turned away because they didn't believe in a trusting way. Paul talks in Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus says, Lord, and believe in your heart. See, confessing is that agreement that it's true. And then believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the personal trust. Paul says you will be saved. You have to trust personally in Christ. It's, it's through that means that God saves. Yeah, it's by his grace. But as an unbeliever, you probably weren't sitting around saying, I'm just going to wait on God to do something. I mean, some people come up with that excuse. I, I once talked to a guy. He said, I'm not a Christian now, but as I get older, I might consider it. But I want to have fun now in my life. And maybe before I die, you know, maybe I'll consider, maybe God will save me. I said, no, man, you can't think like that. You don't even know if you're given tomorrow. You've got to put faith now in the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is saving faith, knowing the facts, agreeing that they're true, and putting your trust in the person, Jesus Christ. And it's through faith alone that we're brought into that, that union with Christ that Paul's been talking about. He keeps talking about in Christ, in Christ. It's through faith that we get put into Christ. This is another sola of the Reformation. I said there were five solas. We won't go through them all today. I, I did that a couple of years ago in a, a series when we celebrated the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. But this one here, faith alone, is sola fide. Sola fide. It means that it's through faith alone, not of works, but through faith alone that we're saved, that we're justified. They would have said it like this in the Reformation. We, we protest. Originally, Protestants protested the Roman Catholic theology. We protest against the idea that there's any other instrument apart from faith by which we are declared righteous before God. They said that faith is the sole instrumental cause. There's no other instrument that God uses other than faith. There's no works. There's no you know, thinking good thoughts and maybe God will save you. No, it's through faith alone. That, that's the doctrine of justification by faith alone. It, it was what the Reformation was all about. It's the reason that we have a Reformed church today, Reformed out of Roman Catholicism. The heart of the gospel, though, set church history aside, is in the Bible. That it's by grace alone through faith alone. Martin Luther, who kind of started the whole thing with the 95 Theses, he said that this doctrine about being justified through faith alone, it's the head and the cornerstone. It alone begets, meaning it gives birth to the person, it nourishes, it builds, it preserves, it defends the church of God. And without it, the church of God cannot exist for one hour. We've got to hold these two things together here. Cause, God's grace. The means, through faith. That's just, used to be anyway, Protestant doctrine from the Bible. 
Now you have liberal Protestants and all kinds of Protestants that have moved away from these teachings, but this is gospel truth. Thirdly, though, let's look at the source of salvation. We're still on verse 8. I mean, there's that much theology packed into one verse. Paul, this is why a lot of pastors will preach from Paul's letters, but if you go too fast or take too big of a section, you, you miss it because he's packing so much in just to one little passage here. That's why I slowed down just to pick these two verses. Let's look at the source of salvation. And that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So the first thing you ought to ask when you see that is, what is that? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Some have said that's just pointing back to faith. That's pointing back only to faith. The that there is saying even faith is a gift of God. Well, I wouldn't disagree with the theology there. The grammar doesn't work out. It's an interesting study for a Greek student. Basically, the word that is a neuter pronoun. We don't have gender words in English. But just a little bit on, on Greek grammar. It breaks down to this. It can't just mean faith here because the that is a neuter pronoun. But the word faith is feminine and it's got to match up. And if we go back, even God's grace is a feminine gender word and salvation is masculine. So what's going on there? Why is the word that a neuter singular? What's it pointing to? What is it talking about? Well, this is the way Greek speakers and writers would talk. When you wanted to cover a group of things that were just mentioned, You chose a neuter gender pronoun and you did it in the singular. So he's saying all of that, including faith, yeah, including God's grace. Well, of course, right? That's not of yourselves. And salvation, you have been saved. It's all a gift of God and it's not of yourselves. That's what he's saying. Everything is of God. Everything. He's showing us here that all salvation is from God start to finish. Which means we can't, we can't claim any of it for ourselves. We can say that we obey. We can say that we came to Christ. But ultimately, we've got to say God has done it. He's, he's once again pointing it back to God's grace. That's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. What that? All, the whole thing. Well, is faith really a gift of God? Aren't we called to exercise faith, though? Isn't that something we do? Yeah, we're called to do a lot of things that God first grants us the ability to do. Indeed, that's what he's saying in this passage, that faith is first granted us by God. The ability to exercise faith is granted to us when God changes our hearts, when he gives us his Holy Spirit, when he regenerates us, when he gives us new life. That's what Paul's saying. Our faith ultimately is found originating from God's granting it to us. That's where it originated from. We're called to do it. We're called to have faith. Don't ever think that you're not called to exercise faith. The Bible's clear on that. He says, come to me. All you are weary and heavy laden. You will find rest. But at the same time, right next to that passage where he says that, he thanks God that God has revealed salvation to the babes, to those who don't understand. And he's hidden it from the wise and intelligent. Faith's not something we do of our own power, Paul's saying here. It's not something that, that we have just suddenly, we were dead one day, and the next day we of our own power decided to have faith. It can't work like that. A dead person can't suddenly have faith. The natural man, 
The Bible says the cross is foolishness to the natural man. It's foolishness. The natural man doesn't want that. The natural man cannot understand the things of God, 1 Corinthians 2. He's blind to the light of gospel, 2 Corinthians 4. He's not able to submit or please God, Romans 8. The unbeliever has had his mind darkened. He's under the influence of Satan. And for him to believe of his own ability, the Bible says it's impossible. It's impossible to please God in the flesh. It cannot happen. So even our faith ultimately goes back to a gift of God. Not that God did it all as far as making us, forcing us. That's not what he's saying. He assumes they already understand what faith is. He's, he's preached the gospel to them. But he's saying even that is a gift of God. Let's thank him for everything. Let's thank him for everything. Thank you, God, for your grace, but not for my faith because that was mine. No, Paul says everything. Thank him for all of it. God gets all the glory. If we look back to our faith and we, we pat ourselves on the back, then we would have some ground to boast on. Thank you, God, for your grace, but I'm going to pat myself on the back for my faith. The Bible doesn't talk about that. Let me just give you a few passages. There's a lot on repentance being granted, but we won't even go there. We'll just talk about faith being granted. Acts 3.16 And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. So the man has been healed. People want to know what happened. And Peter says it's on the basis of faith in his name. Okay. And then he goes on. And the faith which comes through him. Through who? God. The faith which comes through God has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Where does that faith come from? It comes through God. Philippians 1.29 is more clear. For to you it has been granted. Granted means that it's been given to you. It's been made available to you. You've been given the ability. It's been granted for Christ's sake. Not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. God has granted us the blessing of suffering for Christ, but also in between there, did you see where he says it's been granted for you to believe? And then 2 Peter 1, verse 1. This is how Peter starts his letter. Simon Peter, a bondservant apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. Not the faith. He's not talking about the Christian faith as far as doctrine. He's saying a faith. I'm writing to the same people who've received a faith just like ours, Peter and his group that are writing. It's a gift of God. It's God's free gift. Free gift means there's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to earn it. And we're all amen when it comes to grace, but also with faith. We can't force God to do anything. God, I have faith, so you must save me. He said he will if you have faith, but that's not the way you talk. That's not the way you think about it. That's not the way you pray. Why do you believe and your friends and neighbors are still unbelievers? Why is that? Why do you have faith? And if you work back and work back and work back down the chain of events the Bible describes, it's ultimately because God granted it to you. He granted you that ability when he, when he made you born again. That's what Paul's saying. Even that, even everything I've just described comes from God. You hear this in people's prayers. Even if they don't necessarily agree when you say that, you hear it in their prayers. No one, no one says, oh Lord, I just want to say how smart I was. 20 years ago, you know, when you took me to that church, God, you put that book in front of me. You made me convicted of my sin. But I just want to tell you, I was smart enough to figure it out. I was spiritual enough to figure that out. No one prays like that. What do we do? 
We thank God for what he's done. We thank him. Oh, God, thank you for saving me. Thank you for even giving me the ability to have faith in the first place. Who saved me? Was it, it was about 20 years ago that I got saved. Was it the preacher that I heard? Was it the book that I read that scared me to death that Christ was coming back and going to judge the world? Was it even my reading of the Bible? Ultimately, it was God himself. He used those things as the means, but it was God himself who used those things to bring me to Christ. Again, my favorite guy to quote is Charles Spurgeon. Favorite Baptist, favorite preacher of the last couple hundred years. Charles Spurgeon said it well. He says, I ask any saved man to look back upon his own conversion and explain how it came about. You turned to Christ. You believed in his name. These were your own acts and deeds. But what caused you thus to turn to Christ? Do you attribute this singular renewal to the existence of something better in you than has been discovered in your unconverted neighbor? Were you better than your neighbor? No. You confess that you might have been what he now is. You might have been still an unbeliever if it had not been that there was something which touched the spring of your heart, of your will, enlightened your understanding, and guided you to the foot of the cross. You must have faith. And now that you have it, look back and learn that even that is a free gift of God. It's not of yourselves. It's not of yourselves. Now, lastly, he's going to teach us one more truth in this passage. It's all of verse 9. The antithesis of salvation. Antithesis of salvation. Antithesis means exact opposite. He's told us what it is. It comes from God. That's the cause. It's through faith. That's the means. The ultimate source is from God, too, because he's giving the gift. What's the exact opposite of it? Verse 9. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. If a person wants to know the opposite of true biblical Christianity, there it is. People who think they can earn it by works and then they can boast about it. You see this all the time. You talk to people who are following a different religion that's not the biblical, true biblical Christianity. They always talk about what they do. What they do. Even some Christians get mixed up when they're baby Christians on this. I had to counsel a man one time and He was telling me all these things he did. All these things he did. And I said, look, let's talk more about Christ. Let's talk about Christ. I'm not hearing much Christ coming out of your your mouth. The guy never mentioned Christ at all. He was convicted. And and since then, he's grown tremendously. Well, it's not a result of works, Paul says. Just in case he hasn't already been clear, it's by grace, through faith. It's all a gift of God. Here's the exact opposite of what salvation is. He says it's not a result of works that no one may boast. To boast here means to have an attitude of mind that takes pride in something. Sometimes Paul would boast, but he boasted in the Lord. He boasted in what God had done for him. But usually boasting in the Bible is a bad thing because they're boasting in themselves. To boast in your own glory, your pride, to brag is an English word that we often use for this idea of boasting. In context here, it means to put confidence in yourself for salvation. To to boast in your works. It would mean that you trust in yourself for salvation. Paul says in Romans 3 again, where then is boasting? If we're saved by faith alone and Christ alone, by God's grace alone, where then is boasting? He says it's excluded. You can't boast. You can't boast. In fact, that's the way God set it up. It's not a result of works for the purpose that no one could boast. That's the way God designed it all. One of the purposes so that nobody could boast. Nobody could look at themselves for salvation. 
If we contributed any part, we could boast. Go back to um, Galatians. Galatians chapter 1. Previous book here. Before Ephesians. Galatians starting in verse uh, 1, 6. Chapter 1, verse 6. Now the Galatians were a church. And, and they were mostly, I think, saved. That's why Paul's writing to them, of course. But they've let false teachers come in. And false teachers are convincing them they have to live under the law. They have to because they can't receive full salvation unless they obey the law, unless they do good works. And he's very strong with them. He's not as kind as he was to the Ephesians. He's very strong because he loves them. He's concerned about them. And he says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ. So God calls you and he does it by grace. Described here as the grace of Christ. You've abandoned that for a different gospel, which is really not another gospel, only there are some who are disturbing you and they want to distort the gospel of Christ. You go on to read the letter and it's about circumcision and adding the law. They're distorting the gospel. But even if we, Paul says, even if if he came and his little group of missionaries or the apostles or even an angel comes from heaven, and should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you in the past, he's to be accursed. Accursed. Judged. Condemned. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he's to be accursed. What's the gospel problem in Galatians? Works righteousness. Yeah, they believed in faith. Yeah, they believed in God's grace but they wanted to add to it their own works. And Paul says, not as a result of works, so that no man may boast. 1 Corinthians 1.31, again Paul says, but by His doing you are in Christ Jesus. How did you get to be in Christ Jesus? By God's doing. God did it. You're in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say who Christ is. He's, he's wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption for us. So that just as is written, let him who boasts, Boast in the Lord. We didn't sing it today, but there's a hymn with a line that says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. You don't bring anything of yourselves to the cross. Christ is doing all the work right there on the cross. Simply to the cross I cling. A gift of God, it means that it's free, and it can't be based on works. Roman Catholic Church, again, drifts off from the Bible here. And teaches that we're saved by grace through faith. This is their official doctrine. It's not really, no one can really argue it. It's in their catechism. And they say it's not by grace alone. It's not through faith alone. They say that we must cooperate with God's grace by adding our works. As a result of that teaching, not even the Pope, not even the Pope knows whether he's saved or not. You can't know whether you're saved or not under that kind of system. You just keep working and working. And if you don't achieve it in this life, then you go to purgatory and keep working. Nothing about that in Scripture. It's against that, actually. And we love Roman Catholic. We love them enough, though, to tell them the truth. A third to half our church is ex-Roman Catholics that have heard the gospel of grace and believed in Christ. And look, he says you have been saved. It's by grace you have been saved. It's not a result of works. It's by grace you have already been saved, and it continues. Isn't the perfect tense here? It continues to have effects on down the line, all throughout your life and into the next age. You have already been saved. We cannot go through life 
like the Pope wondering if we're saved or not. He says, if you're in Christ, if you trusted in him, it's by God's grace, you've already got it. You've already got it. You should have assurance. Romans eleven six. If it is by grace, it's no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. I've already looked at that passage. How wonderful it is not to work. Can you imagine to work for your salvation? What that would be like. It's so burdensome. That's why Jesus said, come to me, you who are heavy laden. Why? They've been laden down by the Pharisees. They put all these burdens on their backs. You have to obey all these laws and plus these extra things that we gave you. Then maybe, maybe God will let you in. And Jesus says, come to me. My burden is light. Why is it light? Because he's already done all the work. There's no burden except deny yourself and follow him in faith. It's great to not have to work. Working is hard enough just physically working with our hands. Can you imagine working for your salvation? Constantly working, constantly trying to be better, falling every day, getting up the next morning, wondering, did I work hard enough today? You're just trapped into that system. It's depressing, sad. Let's tell people the truth about the gospel of God's grace, that it's by God and it's through faith. We can't work for it at all. You know, Christ said, whoever calls upon him, whoever comes to him, he will not cast out. Whoever truly has faith in him. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, I don't think I'm saved. I've been trying to work. Jesus says, come to him, flee to him. He will take that burden of the weight that you have from trying to work, and he will cast it aside if you come to him in faith. Stop working. Stop working on earning your salvation. Come to Christ in faith. He said he wouldn't cast you out. Come and learn about God's grace and what he's done for people who are in Christ. If you're a believer here today, you need to be thankful. You need to understand where salvation comes from. It's all of God. You need to praise God. This ought to make you pray more, sing louder, Listen closer to teaching from Scripture. Read the Bible more. Serve your brothers and sisters in Christ. All the things that God tells us to do. Not to earn it. We'll come to that next week. But to live out what He's already done in you. We do good works not to earn salvation. But once we're saved, now God has called us to live like it. So let's now ask Him to help us with these things and remembering what He's done for us. Father, we do give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you honor, we give you glory. We stop and just consider that it's it's not us. We've done nothing, nothing to earn our salvation. If we're saved in Christ here today, it's all for you, it's all of you, it's all through you, it's all ultimately for your glory. Help us to remember that. Help us to be humble, not to be prideful in our Christian walk. Let us consider what you've done. Let us love you for it. And I pray, Lord, that if someone here is even now hearing this message and they're, they're trying to work, they're trying to earn it, that you would wake them up, that you would give them a new heart to believe, that they would exercise that faith in Christ, trust in him, their personal trust. They would come to know him as Savior. We thank you, Father, for the work that you've done through your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.